This is Toledo Symphony Lab, a behind-the-scenes look at the world of classical music from WGTE Public Media and your Toledo Symphony. I'm Brad Cresswell, and joining me today in the studio are the Toledo Symphony's principal second violin and artistic administrator, Merwin Sue. We also have the TSO's director of marketing, Vanessa Gardner, and we have on the phone with us today the Toledo Symphony's music director, Elaine Trudell. Welcome, everybody. Hello. Yeah, I have Hello. a little fanfare for you. <laughs> there, that's all you get. But That's all we deserve. That's all, that's all you deserve. Well, you deserve certainly a lot of kudos for the program that we're going to be talking about today because this is uniting the music of Bartok with Brahms. Mm. I sense some alliteration going on there. But we're going to focus on Bartok for this episode and I'm talking about Bela Bartok, right? Mm-hmm. You're doing one of his iconic works on this concert, which is happening uh, this Friday and Saturday. It's April 1st and 2nd at the Toledo Museum of Art Peristyle, 8 o'clock p.m. Elaine is conducting the music by Bartok is the music for strings, percussion, and celesta, which people probably know, even if they don't know. They probably have heard it, a little snippet of it here and there in, you know, a movie soundtrack or even on TV. I mean, it's been in everything from Doctor Who to The Shining. A lot of stuff to talk about as far as the pop culture reference there. You also have the Symphony Number no. 2 of Johannes Brahms, and we're going to talk about that a little bit. But first, let's go back to Bela Bartok, and we can do like a sort of a, you know how they do a summer vacation essay? Sure. You can do a, a winter vacation a winter drudgery essay on, <laughs> on on Bela Bartok, and the title of it would be "What Bela Bartok Means to Me." Right. Oh. So I'm looking at you, Merwin. I but would love to start with this. Y- you want to start with that? Okay. It's actually the perfect setup for this because for me, um, hang on, hang on. I have some music for oh, you. Oh, there's winter treasury, and, and I do have a, a <laughs> choice here. I was thinking, actually, I was thinking of. You know, this music is kind of spooky sometimes, which is why Stanley Kubrick used it mm-hmm. in The Shining. Um, so I've got three different choices here. You can have a scary story music, you can have spooky fairy music, or creepy ragdoll music. Is any of it by Bartok? No. Which of those do you choose? <laughs> Let's go with number two, Brad. Number two, the spooky fairy music. There, that's nice. Perfect. <laughs> Okay, let's hear your vocal essay on Bela Bartok. So for me, Bartok's uh, solo violin sonata is my Mount Everest. Uh, It is the piece that I aspire to be able to perform. And it's one of the most incredible pieces. And it's so difficult. And it's every summer... I start the piece and then it defeats me and it it makes me feel shame about my violinistic prowess <laughs> but it's such an amazing piece there's something about Bartok that he's it's so maximal maximalist and minimalist at the same time he only uses what is required um, but with one violin he makes you do so many things and it is it haunts my dreams it's, I, this is the perfect music for, <laughs> for for Bartok for me and I I absolutely love it and loathe it simultaneously I can't wait to do the music for strings percussion and celesta because hopefully I can play that one yeah <laughs> so it's right. exciting yeah that's that's Yay! interesting was uh, Bartok Yay for a, repeated failure yes indeed <laughs> Was, was Bartok like a, a violinist, or did he have experience with the violin? He was not, um, and I think he 
um, he had such great relationships with violinists like Joseph Zagetti. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I think he he was able to kind of you know stretch the bounds of what's what was possible, and he would ask for instrumentalists to kind of dial him back if mm. it was too difficult. And he was very willing to, you know, collaborate and, you know, but I think that even when you see the score for the first time, you think this should theoretically be possible. So I, I'm pretty sure that a lot of what was difficult was left in. But, you know, I think um, there's a lot of instances where Bartok had some quarter tone elements in and then... They, and people just created a normal, uh, like a kind of normal semitone elements just to be able to play it more easily. But, you know, I've always wanted to do the original with the quarter tones. So. Yeah, I can bring back a cheer for that, right? Uh, a cheer for. <laughs> yay, yay for semitones. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes, so many semitones. people cheer for quarter tones all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Elaine, you're there. Let's hear your vocal essay. Now you've got two pieces of music to choose from, Scary Story or Creepy Ragdoll. I don't know how to say uh, those in French, but... uh, (laughs) Well, uh, well, let's play the one you didn't play for Merwin. Well, there are two of them. You choose out of the two. Scary Story or Creepy Ragdoll. Oh, let's do Creepy Ragdoll. (laughs) Okay, it's a little slower, a little creepier. I mean, it is a rag doll, after all, instead of a fairy like Merwin had. For some reason, I thought of a rag time, and I was a little bit surprised. <laughs> no, okay, so you have to match the tone of the music here with your vocal essay on, on Bartok, Elaine. Well, it was, it was a Sunday night. The temperature was very cold. And it was raining outside, and I was listening to the beginning of this music for percussion instead of bad strings and I don't know I just got scared a little bit but was it me or was it just was was it real I don't know okay so <laughs> seriously okay wow that was that was like the best story we've had ever you could have said it was a dark and stormy night that would have been you know you did yeah, the longer version, but that's good. Oh, that's true. The much better. Oh, there you go. Okay. <laughs> Actually, Bartok is not scary at all for me. I mean, I'm not a violinist or a violist. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm very... What Actually, Bartok was one of my uh, British pieces when I was uh, young was Concerto for Orchestra. And I, it's basically... It's, it's a mix between that and some Ravel and some Ernst Korsakov is a, a treaty on, uh, how do you say, uh, uh, orchestration. It's a lesson in orchestration, but also on how folk music and you know modern language how you can how you can talk about folk music in another kind of language than just a tonic language. Uh, you can talk about folk music because all of those. I mean, what really struck me is that he went around you know all the countries around Hungary and. He, with his little tape recorder, back then it was not like an eight track or you know an iPhone or it was. He had to bring all of this with him, and he he would go to the, the peasant and say, "Okay, sing me the song your grandfather sang to your father, that sang to your mother, that sang to you." And they would go, and they said, "Okay, I'll go back with this." And then he had like thousands of those, and that became his material. So there is always 
an aspect of folkloric music, an aspect of it's very it's very esoteric, but at the same time it's very down to earth in that sense. So it's because of Bartok, we're not losing this uh, this memory uh, of, of of culture because all of this music could not be written. They're just people saying that. If you listen to like I don't know the mystery of the Bulgarian voices, you know they're a very popular group. It's amazing. Well, you know when they started this. Uh, then everybody knows now and remembers what those pieces are. And they're very rarely in 4-4 four, four, and the vault like a 3-4 or march like a 2-4. They're all weird rhythms, but people sing them as folk songs. So we have to adapt our own culture, with, which is kind of square, actually. The, the, you know, the, the, the culture we have is like our boxes are a little square and the boxes of folk music of Eastern Europe is is very very malleable seven five nine twelve eight seven five and 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 this becomes a groove and then if you go further south and you become you go to Asia and you go to India then it becomes you know seven hundred beat pattern so <laughs> it's still we no we are basically infants in our music the mm. way we 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 think about music like the quote unquote western uh, you know uh, uh, music that we play so. And rhythmically, we're like the harmonically is very different, you know. So every society has a priority that they have. If you have a different priority uh, musically, but also socially, it makes uh, for different things. So Bartok was able to marry different priorities together. And that's, I didn't know, I couldn't explain it like that back then when I was like 14, 15, 16. But I just went like, oh, this is really, that grabs me. That's like, wow. This is amazing. I, I need to do more of this. I need to do more. And then I discovered Miraculous Mandarin, and I just, you know, I, I kind of, I lost consciousness. <laughs> I said, this is amazing. And then, and this piece came later for me, this uh, music for uh, for uh, strings, uh, percussion, and chalice. Uh, this, and this was, wow. Like a lot of people, I heard it in a movie, but it was not The Shining. I heard it in another movie. But I don't want to say anything because sometimes I say things and you tell me, Alain, I had it in my quiz, so I'm not going to say Oh, no. I don't, I, the quiz has nothing to do with Bartok, per se. Oh, okay. So you can so tell, was it the John Malkovich movie? Yes, it was the John Malkovich yeah. movie. Oh, which one? I, uh, Being John, John Malkovich. Malkovich. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love that movie. Uh -huh. Anyway, so, and, and this, for me as a brass player, had a special appeal because this piece is a polyphonal as, as well as the harmony going on, as well as so many fugues, that it starts with this never-ending fugue. I a fugue, and I I like music that's a little bit out of the box in the sense that it's not a you know a standard uh, fast allegro form, sorry, sonata allegro form. It's just it's a very tranquilo. Is a it's, it starts it's very slow and it's kind of uh, as you said a stormy night a little bit <laughs> but then the, the the fast movement because sometimes we forget they're very very uh, uh, based on folklore I mean it's challenging because of the meter change and so technically demanding for the string players but all this music the colors that he that he found and one thing that really got me is uh is the beginning of that third movement you know that it starts with a little uh, uh, little xylophone there, and I, I always thought, why is he writing that? And one day I went like, hey, this is the, what's it called, uh, Fibonacci? Uh, the Fibonacci. The Fibonacci sequence, yeah. yeah. Fibonacci, it's a Fibonacci number. Yeah. So basically he based, because a lot of them are based around, you know, the, the, 
le number le voyons le the fourth intervals the the number of gold and the Fibonacci. So he's bringing those elements together, and the 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 composer wannabe inside of me was super excited about like wow you can do stuff like that. But when you listen to it, you don't have to think about it at all. You're just going, oh, this is good. Oh, wow, it's good music. And it, but you can actually bring the intellectual part that blends yeah. with the folkloric part that blends with all these weird sounds that comes on. So I, I don't know. It's very rewarding. It fills me like with the. It it speaks to everything that that I am. Uh, and what's interesting is it's such cinematic music. It really evokes mm -hmm. all different kinds of images in your mind, depending on what you Ooh. take from it. And I think that's why some of these directors of these movies and television shows use the music in their production because it was so evocative for their purposes at the time. It's really wonderful music. Merwin, I know you want to you wanna chime in? Mm -hmm. I think it was interesting, Alain, that you mentioned how it speaks to the composer part of you because it's it's funny because I, I know, you know, Brad, you've been talking a, a lot about kind of the atmosphere of the music, but there's something very, and, and I, I don't mean for this to sound scary to the listeners, but I actually really love how the process of composition is kind of forefronted in Bartok. And that mm. first fugue that you talked about, yeah. it actually sounds like... DNA to me, like these mm -hmm. these these threads with these very very simple ideas that generate everything coiling around each other in this double helix, and then <laughs> uncoiling. And in those first few minutes, the entire piece is there. It's all yeah. it's all in that. And I love to me there is it's a piece that sounds like composition, yeah. and it's it's it's. That opening to me is just absolutely stunning. It's um, it reminds me actually a lot of um, late Beethoven a little bit. That sort of this is this is me being scared. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but no, but you you know it also for me it, it taught me something very important. That, and we we recognize that in Brahms as well because we're also at Brahms on that program. But that you know the foundation when you write a piece the foundation like it has to the solidity of the foundation the solidity of the intellectual foundation of your piece will come through as an emotion at the end mm -hmm. you know it has so you know yeah it can be rhapsodic or whatever but if your your concept is really solid and your elements are solid that's why beethoven is such a, a genius that's why bach is such a genius that yeah, you don't need really to think about it. it. It comes, and after a while, you go like, oh, it all makes sense together. But it was all planned from the beginning. But you have to do that. That's where the real art of composing lies. Well, before uh, Vanessa and I <laughs> offer up our Bartok stories, <laughs> I want to do the first part of our quiz. Mm. And this is a Bartok quiz. And when I say Bartok, I mean two separate words like B A R. T-A-L-K, bar talk, right? Mm -hmm. Perfect. So this is a quiz for aspiring bartenders or somebody <laughs> like Vanessa who mixes drinks all the time <laughs> and has reached right a level now. of... Yeah, in fact, right now. I don't have any sound effects to go with that, but maybe we can find something later and add it in. Uh, so we've got five questions for this quiz. Let me pull up a little music. This is self-explanatory music. It's called Drunks on Parade. <laughs> it's pretty square. Yeah, it's perfect for us. Okay. All right. Which of the following... Tones. Hang on, hang on. 
Now, you're going to write down A, B, or C for each of these. Okay. Um, okay. And hopefully you have something you can write with there, Elaine. Oh, yeah. Okay. And then we'll go back and do the answers. So we give the audience a chance to play along, right? Mm. Number one, which of the following is a mixed drink that actually contains alcohol? Is it uh, John Collins? That's number A. Is it B, an Arnold Palmer? Or is it C, a Shirley Temple? Which of those three, A, B, or C? Second question, for at least how many years must Irish whiskey be wood-aged? Is it A, three years? Is it B, seven years? Or is it C, ten years? Question number three, the Long Island iced tea consists of gin... I'm like getting drunk just listening to this music. (laughs) Totally. Okay. Number three, the Long Island iced tea consists of gin, triple sec, light rum, tequila, vodka, and a splash of what on the top? Is it lemon juice? That's A. Is it honey? That's B. Or is it C, cola? Number four, which bartending technique is mostly used when we do not want ice in the finished drink? Is it shaking? Is it straining or blending? A, B, C. Shaking, straining, or blending. Final question. Which of the following cocktails should be stirred well to combine the added ingredients? Is it a Manhattan? Is it a New Orleans fizz? Or is it a Mai Tai? Which of those cocktails should be stirred well in order to combine all the different ingredients? Okay, so that's one, two, three, four, five. Five questions. Let's check our answers this and see one, how we this did. This is wonderful. I have a great deal of certainty and no knowledge whatsoever. <laughs> like, I know these answers. I have no idea why. <laughs> wow. I didn't even know all these answers, but I know them now. Okay, number one. Which of the following is a mixed drink that contains alcohol? The answer is a John Collins. John Collins. Raise your hand if you got that. Okay, Elaine, yeah. are you raising your hand? John Collins, which, by the way, is a Tom Collins, but you make it with whiskey instead of gin, wow. right? And Arnold Palmer is iced tea and lemonade, mm-hmm. and it, although people do add booze occasionally. And Shirley Temple is ginger ale with grenadine and, and a maraschino cherry on top. Just in case you wanted to know, Elaine, I know you don't drink alcohol, so you might have the occasional Arnold Palmer or Shirley Temple. (laughs) Question number two. For at least how many years must Irish whiskey be wood-aged? The answer is A, three years. Did anybody get that? Nope. Totally. I didn't didn't get it. I'm still with the first one that you said. You added a little something in the palm. Do you call it a Norman? (laughs) (laughs) I'll give you a okay. no, you get half a point for that. No, 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 I, I didn't get it. I, I won't get any of the other ones. Okay. Okay. I was going to put you ahead by half a point. <laughs> so far, it's zero to zero to zero. Okay, question number three. The Long Island I think Ice we all Tea. Got, we all got the first one. We all got the first one. So it's one to one to one. Yeah, well, you all got one, but you cancel each other out. So. Oh. As, as conductors and instrumentalists always do, yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, we, we won't even concert, talk. We call it a dive and go home. We won't even talk about conductors and singers. Okay. <laughs> the Long Island iced tea consists of gin, triple sec, light rum, tequila, vodka, and a splash of what? Cola. Cola. 
That's right, cola. You've all had Long Island iced teas, I take it. Or made them, at least. Mm, They're I'm, hard to no, make. I, I I've get watched that. people make them. Wait, wait. What did you say, Elaine? I didn't get that. I, I don't know. <laughs> wow, Lane is half a point behind now. They're, so it's, they're kind of annoying to me. Yeah, because there's so there's much just so stuff much in stuff them. in it. Yeah. Yeah. And they taste like cough syrup. <laughs> Which bartending technique is mostly used when we do not want ice in the finished drink? The answer is B, straining. No. Yay! Everybody got that? <laughs> okay. I got it. Sure luck. Yeah. Yay! Again, canceling each other out. <laughs> So far, Merwin and Vanessa are ahead by uh, half a point. Okay, which of the following cocktails should be stirred well to combine the added ingredients? The answer is A, a Manhattan. Oh, no. I got it. Uh, Vanessa Vanessa and Elaine both got it. (laughs) Sorry. Wow. I don't deserve it. I I just said whatever letter. It's okay. You you didn't win the quiz. You just got that point. Vanessa wins by half a point. (laughs) <laughs> Yay. Congratulations to Vanessa. We knew you were going to win this quiz anyway. I mean, you were talking up, about Vanessa? your Instagram account is all about booze, right? I, I may have mentioned that off the air, Brad. <laughs> <laughs> what you should say is not your personal Instagram it's account. It's not my personal Instagram. Yeah, and people will have to figure out what it is. It's your so alter ego. <laughs> that'll take a while. So now, Vanessa, it, since you're the winner of the quiz, between you and I, you have to go first with your bar talk okay. story. And you get the scary story music because nobody wanted it. So let me start that. I mean, this is going to be a really short story because, as Merwin said, Bartok only used what was necessary. And I don't think that included very many French horns. Um, <laughs> actually, the only piece I think I've ever played by Bartok is Concerto for Orchestra. Yeah. And I've only performed it once, maybe twice. As a French hornist. Yeah. 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 Or as anything. Yeah. As anything. <laughs> as um, a bartender. But, <laughs> but I did get to perform it um, at the Hat Shell on the Boston Esplanade, uh, which was a really great experience. Um, at the, really the Hat nice. Show? The, oh. the Hatch Shell? The hat, Half Shell? The Wait, hat? I am so confused. Where did you do it? The Esplanade, where the Boston Pops plays at the Hatch Shell. Oh, the Hatch Shell. Yeah, <laughs> I used to live in Boston, yeah, so I should know that. <laughs> anyway. Is uh, that your story? That's my story. That's it. it okay. I, you know, it's a, it's, it's a great piece. I love playing it, but I don't have a whole lot of experience with other Bartok okay. repertoire. Okay, here's my Bartok story. <laughs> Now, this is obviously a reference to The Shining, right? Because they use this at the beginning of The Shining. Um, This is that old Judgment Day chant that's performed here. In the original version, actually. We did an entire episode on the DSA. Yeah, we did. So we're not going to talk about DSA. That's just in the background, right? That's (laughs) just setting the... Setting the scene for my story, which I think I've told you before. I don't know if Vanessa has heard this. When I used to work in radio at WMIC in New York, they would give us these sheets of paper with the various live reads that we had to make. It was like the underwriting, you know, Mm -hmm. WMIC is supported by blah, blah, blah. And so they had a concert they were promoting. We had to say, with the music, featuring the music of Beethoven, Haydn and Bart K, right? They it was capital B A R T space capital K Bart K, 
and I looked at that and I was thinking, Bart K, is that like a, a DJ or something? Or is that like Bart K Simpson? Or is it? And finally, my friend who was also an announcer was looking at it and he was not a music guy, but or a classical music guy, but he was like, I think they meant Bartok. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, that makes perfect sense. But he had already recorded it as Bart K. So Did it, they air it? It aired as Bart K for a while, and then by the time we figured it out, because I had to do a live read, but they also had it recorded, right? Oh, jeez. Um, so we went back and had that re-recorded. But for a while, people were, you know, thinking... I can't wait to go see Bart K. <laughs> I wonder if we can find that soundbite on the internet. Yeah, I don't know. We ha- we'll have to recreate it, <laughs> right? Anyway, <Yay! laughs> I'm giving myself a cheer. Story. Yeah, Let, let's take a, a 360 here or a whatever degree turn, maybe a 90 or 45, and and talk a little bit about Brahms and sure. the Symphony Number no. Two. Who wants uh. to jump in with their? Uh, they're Bra- well, here's mm. Vanessa is like, I can talk about Brahms, right? I can talk about how he wrote the second movement for horn and H, which is just mean, but it is a very <laughs> beautiful horn solo. Now, and explain what you mean with, for the horn and H. Horn and H is, H is the German for um, be natural. So uh, if, if I see an F on the staff, I play a be natural. And it's complicated, be natural below the F. It's complicated in my brain because I was told there would be no math. <laughs> and um, there's all sorts of sharps and it's just a, it's a funky key. So, yeah. um, but once you get it under your fingers and, you know, under your brain, it's, it, it's one of the most beautiful horn solos, I think. But also the horn is either an F or in B flat. So it's either a semitone or an augmented four, which is the furthest you can be from the note from mm. your instrument, to for transposing. So it's very difficult. Yeah, it but, uh, hurts my brain. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think people realize the uh, you know the amount of of stuff that goes on behind the scenes you know to make this music come to life. What the instrumentalists have to do, like yeah, you like said, writing note names. Yeah, we have to <laughs> do the transposing and figure this and that out yeah. and all that stuff. Well, That's it's amazing. only tenor cleft plus seven sharps. <laughs> <laughs> Better than alto clef. Or basically, you can do any clef you want these days. Yeah. yeah. But it's funny, though, when, um, you know, sometimes publishers will create a set of already transposed parts. And as horn players, we lament having to transpose. But then when we get the part that has already been transfo- transposed for us, it looks so bizarre that yeah. we end up playing off of the original anyway. Because you're used to the yeah. original. And Now, explain why it is that some instruments have to transpose, like the clarinet has to transpose depending on what key it's in originally, and other instruments have to transpose, like the horn, obviously. Alain? <laughs> yeah, I was talking <laughs> yeah, to you, Alain. <laughs> okay. So if your instrument, when it plays the note C of your instrument, it sounds like a B-flat, then to get to the same C as the piano, then you have to do everything one tone higher. If when you read a C, it sounds an F, then you have to do everything while well, either a fourth or a fifth apart if you're going up or down, and so on and so on. If it's an A, it's a... But some of those instruments, because the sound or because the mechanics of the instrument is because how much tubing you want to do. The only instrument that is not in C, that is a non-transposition instrument, is the trombone. <laughs> well, it's, an instrument, nice. it's an instrument in B flat, and when you 
read a B flat, it is a B flat. <laughs> so but I, I actually want to dig into this just a little bit because I can understand this for something like the clarinet because the instruments change, right? Like, yeah, they're, they're like different a, keys. They're actually different instruments. Well, right? they well horns used to be different horns. Yeah. We used so, to have a crook. It, yeah, which I wish sometimes we still had, so yeah. I didn't have to do the math. So is this just vestigial? Like, is is this just like a kind of like oh, uh, of like? It traditionally used to be that way for the horn because now it's no longer a different instrument. Right. Or maybe it is. I think the police are coming and telling me that I'm I'm wrong. They're coming to get us. They're coming to get Elaine. You used to be able to put a crook in for whatever key the the Mm -hmm. piece that you were playing was was composed in. But, um, you know, then the instrument itself evolved evolved and... Ain't nobody got time for that anymore. So, yeah. <laughs> oh wait, well, was evolved upon? Creation of the valve. No, 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 no. Like evolved is the creation of the valve because yeah. before that it was just a piece of tube. So right. your piece of tube did pa 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 pa. Okay, then B flat. Pa 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 pa. You take another one that's longer, another one that's shorter, or one that's longer, depending on the different movement, even of right. a symphony or a piece. But with the valve. You just play one note and then you can press the valves to come up and down. Same the, thing with the, the trumpet. The valves, right? not the vowels. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was my evolves joke. <laughs> I thought you were saying the. <laughs> I'll give you a buzz for that one. <laughs> well, but actually, you know what's really interesting is that Brahms was not a big fan of the valve instrument, as, as, as you That's might why know. he wrote uh-huh. the second movement in H to punish exactly. us. Exactly. Yeah. To punish the evolution of the horn. Nice segue. We've come full circle. Also, I think he didn't like the guy that was playing first horn at the yep. premiere of his second symphony. Yeah. Yeah. Did it sound anything like this? <laughs> the only <laughs> instrument the that, that is in B flat that doesn't transpose, right? <laughs> and that's, now you hear why. That's going on my next quiz. <laughs> But you mentioned evolution, and it's actually it's one one thing that's real that's kind of weirdly in common about both of these pieces is that the first lines have everything you need to know about the entire symphony, like um, just those little tiny motives the the D the Re Do Re and then the Do those all that basically that's the symphony. The mm-hmm. Brahms takes these little mm-hmm. tiny things, this descending semitone, rising semitone, and then these the, the, those thirds. That's the symphony. He makes everything out of those little DNA mm-hmm. units. It's just yeah. stunning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's stunning, or it's you know kind of lazy. It's like I'll, I'll <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> I no. mean, Elaine, you can talk about this. You're a composer. Composers have technique and things they can rely on. To, to make it work. It's I think the genius lies in opposite. what they do with the it's material. It's the exact opposite yeah. of lazy. It's like lazy as Wrong. Long Island iced tea. You throw everything <laughs> in there and, the, and, and something's going to stick. Excellent. Brahms is one of the most intimidating of composers. Oh, I mean, it's so, it's, so, it's so sound and solid. I mean, he was completely completely intimidated by Beethoven. That's why he didn't write that first symphony before. Yeah, he 20 was, years. He was much, much older, right? He started, It took 20 years to finally said, okay, I have the guts now. It's going to come out. And I, after Beethoven ninth, everybody went like, oh, well, I'm not writing anything. You know, <laughs> so I'm not writing a symphony. And they started saying, well, symphonic poem, so symphony, something like that. But something of true, like, uh, you know, uh, how could I say, uh, majestic importance. Mm-hmm. Brahms came in and he said, okay, I'm ready now. But that mm-hmm. took a lifetime of, of effort. And also Brahms, I mean, you see his DNA is Bach. 
Bach, Beethoven. So yeah. all that they have in common is the treatment of the material, not melodies over melodies. So you have, you have different styles, right? You have uh, Dvorak and Tchaikovsky. They're basically the guys that can write a tune, you know? And then you have Beethoven and Brahms. And also they write the most beautiful tunes, but it's more like, um, how much can I do with a, I like to say Beethoven can uh, write a symphony with like a, a match, a piece of duct tape, and I don't know, a glass, you know. <laughs> MacGyver. It's the MacGyver of the symphony. <laughs> Classical MacGyver. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, and you come back and there's a cathedral and say, what happened? I left for 10 minutes, you know. <laughs> so Brahms is a little bit like that also. Uh, you know, speaking of that, that's the third horn that plays that. When Vanessa was saying that's just, because he, Brahms wrote every all the high parts in the third horn, not in the first horn. Is it an so H? No, that one's not an H. No, that one is in D. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm not. I'm well, not even going to get into that. I wasn't. I wasn't talking about that solo, but that is also very fun to play. When the first one, oh, sorry, the first one play But when you get to the really high part, so that's the third horn, right? You know. Yeah. And I have an incredible story. One day, if you want about that, it's, it's a, a tad long, but okay. It's really Okay, well, well we, let me get you some music. We can hear it, hear it over a drink sometime. <laughs> okay, let's hear the story. <laughs> okay, oh, really? Okay. So, I, I was, when I was principal trombone player in a, in a European orchestra, uh, uh, a renowned, which I will not name right now, <laughs> we, we, we had a particular maestro with a particular character with the most incredible interpreter of Brahms. I learned my Brahms and my Strauss with him. It's incredible. And uh, we were playing the second of Brahms on tour. We played on tour. And we came back. We didn't rehearse a lot because, you know, it's a piece we know very well. And we go on tour. And then we played a show. Um, the, the, we used to do Friday for radio, Saturday for radio and television uh, national. So we play the concert. And uh, it's okay. Everything goes okay. Then, uh, but then we get into the middle of the, the first movement. And uh, the uh, the development of the first movement, the horn player, the principal horn, again the horn, comes in two measures early, you know. <laughs> so, but he, nobody only touches the note the good poop, and and the conductor looks at him and says, "Yeah, don't play there." <laughs> and then and and then he does a little a little turn around with the strings and gives them a cue for two bars later. Honestly, nobody would notice anything <laughs> if the strings would have followed the conductor. Oh. So the strings they all went their separate ways, and it started to be a bit of a a goulash, you know, it was kind of like the music we have time. going a on goulash. right now. <laughs> so, so the conductor looked at the orchestra. I was conducting. He didn't really like. He went like, "Oh, that's enough for me." He cut the orchestra. We finished. We're on stage. We're playing for live radio <laughs> across the country. And he turns around and he says, "Well, that's what happens when you have a management that doesn't give you enough time to send you." Wow. He starts with this. Big, big complaint about, and we just played it on tour. It was fine. Oh <laughs> he he starts. I don't know. I guess he had he had a beef with somebody. That anyway, he turned around and said, oh, "Okay, we start again." Oh. So you know, we had to have the first movement. Well, third is the first movement. So we start again. Then the third horn comes in. Now you have to know that the third and the fourth horn got in the orchestra about 20, 25 years before, and a lot of people. 20, 30, 40 years very well. But those people were not that great. They were part of a political party that placed them there because they were part of a certain party that was very much to the right and something like oh, that. So, gosh. And so they were placed there. They were not very good. 
But they could get away with stuff when we didn't play something that was very exposed. But you cannot get more exposed than third horn and drums. So mm. he plays the... Uh, it's terrible. And of course, I'm sitting right behind the bell of that person. I'm going, oh my God, there's a small animal that died. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm thinking, oh my God, that, that's too bad. I, I thought for him, that's the too bad. Stopped. The conductor stopped again. <gasps> oh no. And he, he turned around to the public and he looked at them like, you know, waving his hand like, well, whatever, I don't know. And, and then he looked at, he turned around, looked at the player with the hands like, well, can you do this? Oh. And they turned around again to the public. So we we try again. Oh my gosh! Oh. We're, we're we're all live on radio. Oh my gosh! So, my <laughs> heart is racing. Again. Yeah, I know. So I, I mean, we all left a year or two of our careers that night on stage. You know. Oh <laughs> my god! Okay, you know, well, that's our show. We'll see you next week. <laughs> that oh my that gosh. that. That needed the scary story music, Chad. Yeah. We need to take the entire Although, thing I don't know. I think that this music fits pretty well. Well, so here's the question I have. Had Brahms just wrote for Horn and F, would that have happened? But my story is not finished. Oh, oh okay. Oh, my gosh. There's more. Yes, but there's wait. More. <laughs> but wait, there's more. There's a, well, yeah, because then there's going to be a set of uh, Ginzo Knights, right? At the end. Okay. <laughs> so so uh, we play again. We get through, and I'm thinking, you know, like the big trombone scales at the end, that's one of the big trombone exposed things. I said, I hope I don't miss, because I play in the last 20 seconds of the entire symphony. I said, what if I miss my nose? I have to go back and start over. (laughs) (laughs) Like 40 minutes before, you know. I said, anyway, so we all, like I said, we all left a year or two of our careers on stage uh, and the stress of that. That that was another era. Wait, did you miss the note or no? No, no, I didn't. No, because... (laughs) And, And... and there's a recording of the next day that exists, commercial recording. Of, oh, my gosh. And, they, and, and No, no, it's fine. So, wait a second. So we <laughs> finish, okay? And I, I, there's no Kanye West in my story, but it's a good story, okay? So, we, we, we finish, the, we finish the, the, the symphony. Half the hall is going, ooh, the other half is going, bravo! He comes back a bunch of time on stage. He's relishing in this, like, uh, you know, the conflict. And then he goes... And then the manager of the orchestra, of course, is running after him. He's running away. Then we have to play a TV show the next day. You wow. know? So the next morning, the principal horn resigned. <gasps> because he said, I'm the fault of all of this. And we're going, no, no, no. It's, it's, yeah, it, it happens. It's okay. You know? No, I was dishonored. But, oh, no, come on. And so the assistant has to play principal. And then we, we have to do a TV show. So we get on the TV thing. So the first half was actually a Bartok violin concert. So we, we play we, we play the first half, everything's okay. Then they interview the conductor. He was wearing like this green velvet jacket that day. I don't know why he put that. It was a jacket he liked. And then and it was then a golfing the, jacket. He was drinking an Arnold Palmer. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I think it was a Greg Norman. But the, <laughs> it, 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 it was a, <laughs> he, then then the interviewer asked him like uh, oh maestro and everybody's uneasy. Everybody knows what happened the night before because we didn't know but it's live on radio. So while we're stopping, the people have to make some time on the radio. So it became, oh, trouble in so-and-so city. Then, oh, they stop again. And, oh, can they do this? You know? and, and then, <laughs> like a sports broadcast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So the next day, we play, and they ask the conductor, oh, uh, the, the interviewer doesn't know really what to talk about because everything is going to be bad, whatever subject, you know? 
So he says, oh, maestro, uh, uh, nice jacket, you know? <laughs> it's green. It's the car of hope. <laughs> <laughs> hope springs and eternal. We played, and we made a record that day. Oh, my gosh. So this record is commercially available? Oh, yeah. It's yeah, what, la- what label is it on? I, I, uh, I don't want to tell you right now. Because <laughs> <laughs> then I tell what the orchestra is and, you know. I, yeah. <laughs> I, if, I guarantee if, you people are Googling maestros with velvet green jackets yeah. right now. <laughs> if, if, we, if we guess who it is, will you tell us? Like if it was, you know, Concert Gabot or something like that, or Bernard Hightank or, you know. Oh, he would never be in that soul. way. Um, what's the next part of the quiz? well we can do that we can go to the quiz bring up the music here we'll just keep it going all right five questions our bar talk quiz continues that's very loud (laughs) bar talk quiz okay which of the following liquors is distilled from fruits especially from grapes is it vodka gin or brandy a b or c Next question. Which ingredient in the vodka-based drink Cosmopolitan gives it the pink color? Is it strawberry juice? Is it cherry juice or cranberry juice? A, B, or C? Can we call it? Oh, I make the best Cosmos, you guys. The best. I'm sorry, Elaine, what'd you say? (laughs) Can it be the micro Cosmopolitan? (laughs) <laughs> not not right. when so I make them. <laughs> They're very <Yeah>. macro. <laughs> so when when uh, Bartok makes them. Or Liggity. Okay. Liggity split. All right. Which tool can be used by a bartender to crush fruits? Is it a jigger, a muddler, or a mister? A, B, or C? Okay. And those are all things. Well, easy for you, right? Which kind of soda is used to make the Americano cocktail? Is it ginger ale, club soda, or Sprite? A, B, or C. And finally, to which of the following drinks is vodka added to make a hairy navel? Is it a slippery navel? Is it a buttery navel? Those those are sort of the same thing, I know. Or is it a fuzzy navel? Okay. So let's go back to the first question on our quiz. Which of the following liquors is distilled from fruits, especially grapes? The answer is C, brandy. Mm-hmm. Everybody get that? Did you get it, Elaine? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so everybody got that. At one point each. Okay. And a brandy. I, you know, I wondered where the name came from, so I did a little research. And this is why I was thinking of Dutch orchestras and conductors. Um, it, it's a Dutch drink. It comes from the Dutch word brandewine or burnt wine, mm-hmm. which refers to how it's made. Okay. See, it's an educational podcast. <laughs> Dutch people way. are very calm. They would never do something crazy like what I said. Yeah. <laughs> no, not true. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That, that's an amazing story. I want to hear more when we finish the quiz. All right. <laughs> Number two, which ingredient in the vodka-based drink, the microcosmopolitan, gives it the pink color? It's not shellfish. Is it strawberry juice, cherry juice, or cranberry juice? The answer is... Cranberry juice. C, cranberry juice. You got it right. Everybody get that right? Mm -hmm. I guessed I got it right. Yeah, you guessed you got it right. Okay, we're going to switch up. Though I will say watermelon juice is also a refreshing alternative. Oh, watermelon juice? Mm-hmm. Wow. And it is also pink. Is that on your Instagram mm-hmm. account? Yeah. <laughs> Advice from <clears throat> Vanessa on making the microcosmopolitan. <laughs> okay. Which tool can be used by a bartender to crush fruits? It is a muddler. B. 
Did everybody get that? And if you yeah. don't have a muffler, you can use a wooden nope. spoon. So Vanessa got it, but Elaine did I not. Did, did you get it, Merwin? Yeah. Okay. So Vanessa and Merwin are both ahead by a point. Muddling well, is pretty much what I do for a living. <laughs> <laughs> well, the that was, jigger, a, that the, was a good one. <laughs> the jigger is a measuring <laughs> utensil, right? And the mister, the mister, you know, I, I didn't know what that was, and I was like, mister, mm. mister man, that has to be, you know, phony. But it's actually like a little bottle that s- sprays a fine mist. Yeah. You know, the aroma the, the of olf- drinking a cocktail is just as important. Yeah. Olfactory enhancement, exactly. I believe they call it. Very yes. nice, yes. Yeah. Anyway. I'm which, not sure about this one. <laughs> which kind of soda is used to make the yeah, Americano? Totally guess. Yeah. It's B, a club soda. I thought so, and yeah. I, I second guess myself. So wait, who got it? I got it. Merwin got it? Elaine, did you get it? No, I didn't get it. Uh, <laughs> Merwin might win this quiz. I think okay. Finally. Final question. <laughs> yes. To which of the following drinks is vodka added to make a hairy navel? The answer is C, a fuzzy navel. Yay. Yay. Okay, so if you add alcohol to it, you get a Yay. hairy navel. Yay. Elaine, do you have a hairy na- no, did you get <laughs> did you get a hairy navel? I, no, no, I, I got it. Yeah, I, I did the did right you answer. Do that on purpose? No. I know I, I I'm avoiding I, I'm avoiding it. I'm not pursuing this, but I got the right answer. <laughs> Okay, did you get it or no? I'm not engaging. (laughs) You don't have to engage. Just tell me if you got the answer. Yeah, yeah, I got the answer. (laughs) Okay. Elaine got the answer. Everybody got the answer. So the winner has to be Merwin, right? (laughs) Merwin, if you guys can compose yourself, (laughs) if you can compose yourself, we can keep this in the podcast, okay? Okay. All right. I have some music in the meantime if you want to. Okay. Oh, <laughs> All right, Elaine, it's up to you to save us at this point. Anything else you want to say about Bartok or Brahms, no. for that matter? Any other juicy stories you can tell us? Actually, well, I can tell you something that's incredibly serious. Uh, if, oh, well, let me take out the drunk music then. Okay, yeah, go ahead. Thanks. <laughs> because uh, the way I, I build a program is I thought that, you know, in those times that... Uh, we're kind of moving from an uncertainty, uh, like uh, with the COVID and, and where we live, the other parts of the world was very terrible, but where we live, we're moving from uncertainty to hope. And I built a program that way because I thought like, you know, let's go deeper in the things that kind of, you know, scares us or makes us wonder. And uh, like in the beginning of the Bartok, people will feel like, oh, the, we, it's like we're digging deeper in our in our emotions a little bit. And the, the program goes forward with the, the folk music in Bartok. And in Brahms, because this is basically a happy symphony, the second symphony, if I, if I may say so, if I may express myself like that. So I, I'm going to, from that, to, uh, to jubilation with the end of the second symphony. So that's the way. So if people, you know, when you listen to it or when you're coming to the concert, you will experience kind of a crescendo of emotion going from maybe what we've been feeling for a while to where we think we're going. And it ends with a trombone, right? <laughs> can you have Can you have Garth do this instead <laughs> at the very end of the of the symphony? You know what I think is so interesting. Whenever there's a Brahms symphony, and the, the trombones practice their part in the break. You say that like they uh, don't practice. No, otherwise. no, but it's they take it so seriously. Oh, during the break, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
that that entrance where they have to sit there for 40 minutes and they they you know everybody else is taking a break and having a drink of water and those, those trauma trauma players are on stage practicing. Uh, i i must intervene on behalf of my people <laughs> i'm not saying that's a bad thing i just think no, it's no, I, kind of funny i know but to to make our public understand Let's do an analogy. Okay. We are the closers, okay? The, like closers. the pitcher that comes in for the ninth inning. If you send the closer that hasn't played in the bullpen at all, it's not going to go well. <laughs> you need to throw some pitches. And the only time they get to do that it's during is during the break because the, the rest of the time the orchestra is playing and they're not playing. <laughs> so that's why they do this. And there's a reason for it. It's not just because there's a stage and there's three of us that have fun. It's more like <laughs> we need to play with you. You need to throw a little... Uh, 101 uh, mile an hour ball that hits the mascot and then you know you focus again and then and then you're good to go you know you, you otherwise you're going to wind up like boulder rim that know? may be the so best uh, sports orchestra analogy although <laughs> I, I have another analogy if we're going from the story that elaine told us they were more like cleaners <laughs> than closers right <laughs> perhaps <laughs> come clean up the mess as it were oh man I, I, actually this symphony it's super rare. The trombone plays in three of the four movements. Mm-hmm. It's the only one. Yeah, uh, no, it's not the only one. Sorry, the third also. But uh, it's very rare. Uh, very often in the Romantic era, you know, like Beethoven fifth, uh, mm-hmm. you come in on the last movement. Brown's first, last movement. You know, the fourth, last movement. But in the second, we play almost right off the top. There's a nice chord just with the timpani and the trombone. So, to all the trombone aficionados, uh, you will be able to hear a beautiful section uh, right in the first two minutes of the symphony. Wow. Yay! That's for all the trombone enthusiasts out there. <clears throat> Wonderful. Well, we're running out of time. Uh, does anybody else have anything they want to add to our little Bartok Brahms extravaganza today? I will just say, if you are at this concert, <clears throat> you will be among the first to hear about next season. Ah, so, <clears throat> little teaser there, a huh? Little teaser. Yeah, little teaser. nice. I'm sure that we'll hear about next season on this program as well. Eventually, very soon. But we'll give the first uh, exposition to the mm-hmm. ticket goers to the Bartok concert. I should have mentioned it is this Friday and Saturday, April 1st and 2nd, at the Peristyle at 8 o'clock p.m., Elaine Trudell conducting the Toledo Symphony. We're going to hear Bella Bartok's music for strings, percussion, and celesta. And we're also going to hear the Second Symphony of Johannes Brahms. Wonderful pairing. You can find more information about that at ToledoSymphony.com or just call up the box office at 419-246-8000. This program is a production of WGTE Public Media in collaboration with our sponsor, the Toledo Symphony, with generous support from the Rita Barber Kern Foundation. You can download episodes of this program as a podcast by going to our website at wgte.org lab. You can also subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts, including Apple and Google, as well as Spotify. And don't forget, you can check out all the upcoming events at the Symphony by visiting their website. It's ToledoSymphony.com and their various social media outlets on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can find the TSO streaming platform online at stream.artstoledo.com. My thanks to Elaine Trudell, Merwin Sue, and Vanessa Gardner. I'm Brad Cresswell, and you've been listening to Toledo Symphony Lab from FM 91.